Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, and this is the Digital Project Manager podcast from the digitalprojectmanager.com. So today I'm joined by Justin Handler, and today we're going to be talking or discussing really about is being a PM a thankless job or not? Justin's uh, just written an article on this for us on the Digital Project Manager, and Justin doesn't think so. He doesn't think it's a thankless job. So I'm looking forward to discussing that with him. But Justin, we've not really met before at all. I know you've written a couple of things for us on the Digital Project Manager. But first, just tell me a bit about yourself. Where are you? Where are you based? And what do you do? Sure. First, uh, thanks for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. Um, So uh, my name is Justin Handler. I am uh, head of accounts for a digital agency called O3 World. Uh, We're located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, We're a digital product design and development uh, company. So I came across your site, uh, I think from from actually our local DPM Philly that I'm part of. Uh, Somebody mentioned it to me and I found you. And, uh, you know, you've been nice enough to let me write a couple of articles for the site. Good stuff. So what does, so head of accounts, so is that, is that a PM role or is that looking after a PM team? What, what's, uh, we have all kinds of different job titles and roles. So what does, what does, what does head of accounts mean to you? Sure. Yeah. So my background is in digital project management. Um, I was a DPM for about six, seven years. I mean, I still am to some degree, of course. Um, as In my role as head of accounts, uh, I oversee a team of four project managers. Um, and then I also see oversee our accounts kind of from a strategic level. So, um, you know, making sure that we are driving the products that we're building for our clients forward, making sure our clients are happy, making sure that their um, projects and engagements with our are structured properly uh, for both them and us, uh, as well as just helping to drive the strategy forward. So uh, it really is kind of an all-encompassing client services role where I'm overseeing the project managers as well as the accounts kind of high level. Cool, good stuff. And so, yeah, you talk about um, product management and project management and how you're doing. See, it sounds like you're doing kind of a mixture of both for different clients. So what are the kind of yeah, how do you delineate between a, a product and a project for your clients? Sure. Yeah, so, you know, we are an agency. So the, the projects that we do are projects. Now, um, we don't have specific product managers per se. That's typically on the client side. Uh, we have project managers that, uh, you know, are managing projects that happen to be digital products. So uh, what I mean by that is anywhere, anything from like a web app, software, mobile app, etc. Um, we also do do enterprise web development. You know, we don't do your kind of typical smaller marketing site, but we'll do large scale enterprise level corporate kind of um, websites that typically have some sort of um, complex integration or internationalization um, or pretty heavy third party customization. So, um, you know, everything that we do that we kind of we view them as digital products, um, you know, and that can kind of mean different things to different people. But we don't have specific product managers per se, but we have project managers that are managing these projects that happen to be digital products. Cool. So t- tell me about uh, some of the, well, what's the most exciting project that you've, I guess, worked on in the last year or so? Yeah, so uh, because of the nature of the products that we build, a lot of these uh, we've been building for several years. So I would say my, my favorite project uh, 
overall is a project called Goal Investor, um, which is a online um, financial planning tool. Um, it's it's great for planning things like uh, retirement, education funds, emergency funds, etc. And the tool is really great because um, based on our clients' methodologies as well as, well as their modeling, um, it basically will create goals for you and then provide really detailed and unique advice for you to help you reach those goals. So uh, we've been working on this product for four plus years, um, completely agile project, a great client, great engagement, um, just constantly iterating on it, coming up with new features and functionality, doing user testing, et cetera. So it's been a really fulfilling project for me. I went from being the project manager to the account manager to now kind of overseeing uh, the project strategically as well as um, with the entire project team. So again, just a really fulfilling project, really unique and interesting and uh, really being built the way that product should be. Good stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting. You talk, I know that I had a, I stalked you out on LinkedIn and saw that you've been at O3 World for like seven years, but tell me like, how did you get, I'm always interested to find out how did you end, end up being a digital project manager and, uh, yeah, what was your what was your journey to becoming, yeah, uh, in this place where you're managing digital projects? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, my brother, my older brother, um, is really into computers. He's been a developer for probably 20 years, um, and I was always interested in kind of what he was doing. So, um, I had a degree in marketing, but I always kind of had this interest in digital um, through through my brother. Like I always saw what he was developing and playing with the tools that he was building, et cetera. So after I graduated college, um, he had this website that he had been working on for a while and he wanted to get it redesigned. So, you know, he essentially asked me if I wanted to help him find a, a small agency to help with that. Um, so I was living in New Jersey at the time. I, you know, did some research, found a local agency and Basically, my brother kind of paid them to redesign his site, and I was involved in that process the whole way. So, um, you know, they did a logo design, and I was involved. Then they got to mock-ups of the the site design, et cetera. And I really enjoyed that process being the quote-unquote client. Um, And about three-quarters of the way through the project, which wasn't necessarily going that well, um, but it was still an enjoyable process, uh, the owner of the agency uh, mentioned to me that they were looking for some help on the marketing side, on the project side, et cetera. Uh, and again, I was fresh out of college. I was about 21. So uh, it really piqued my interest. I went in and kind of saw what they were up to. And I ended up getting that that role. And really what I was doing was I was kind of playing a supporting project manager role for about uh, three to six months. And then throughout the year, I started to take over the projects. And I just really took a liking to it. I really dug in and started to understand how uh, the technology that we were using worked and how the designers were doing what they did, et cetera. And um, I just developed this really uh, deep interest in digital project management as well as the kind of digital industry. Um, Now, during that journey, uh, there was really no resources for me to find that could help kind of understand the digital project management field, uh, techniques, et cetera. So, um, again, that's why um, websites like yours are so interesting to me because now there's this vast array of um, different resources for people. There's your site, there's the 
local DPM kind of chapters, which I run here in Philly, along with a few others, as well as the DPM Summit, uh, which is a very popular conference run by a friend of mine named Brett Harn. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of been my journey. And then after a year there, I wanted to move back to Philly, and that's how I found O3. Cool. So, yes, tell me about – so you, you help organize your local DPM meetup? Yeah, I do. Is that, so, is that right? Yeah, it's a local meetup. Uh, we meet about uh, every month and a half, two months, um, various different things from – you know, uh, we'll get speakers to come, we'll get sponsors to come talk about their products. And then we'll also have various different types of events that the the group wants us to, to hold. And um, I didn't start the group again. That was actually started by uh, Brett Harned, um, who, again, runs the DPM Summit and several other kind of events. And a few years back, I, I wanted to get involved. So I asked him if I could help. Um, and he kind of was nice enough to let me join the team and start planning these things, uh, et cetera. So it's been a, it's been a nice journey. I know that there's, uh, other chapters in other cities. We're not necessarily affiliated, but we do, uh, we are aware of each other and sometimes we'll, uh, call each other in to do things like this or video chat or whatever the event may be. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and if, if for anyone who's listening and you're wondering, is there a DPM meetup near me? Um, if you head over to the community page on the digitalprojectmanager.com, um, you'll see we've got a post there that links to all the digital PM meetups that we found, uh, predominantly in the in the US, but also in the UK, Canada, um, Australia, and there are some in in Europe as well. So if you're interested in finding some other people who are like you, your crew. Um, go and check out our list of meetups and, and head down to a meetup and, and you'll, you'll find all kinds of interesting people who are doing the same thing as you. And I think one of the things actually that um, having been to some meetups, some DPM meetups myself, um, that, uh, that sometimes happens, there's a bit of a tendency, and this kind of relates to the article that you've written, Justin, is uh, when, when PMs get together, one of the things that they can say to themselves or say to one another is talk about, oh, you know, I'm so undervalued, I'm underappreciated, but I know I'm awesome, but how, why is it that no one's noticing how good I am? And I've got to be honest, I do understand this kind of mindset. And uh, a shameless plug here, I've written a, a little ebook called uh, So You Think You Want to Be a Digital Project Manager. And if you're interested in becoming a digital PM, but you're not quite sure what it is or what it means or how to become one, then uh, check out the ebook on my site, digitalprojectmanager.com. But in the book, I discuss some of the things that I love about being a digital project manager. I love solving problems. I love making things happen. I love seeing ideas um, just brought to life and bringing teams together and the fusion of different disciplines that we get to work with. But in the book, I also try to be a bit realistic and, uh, the truth is it is hard. Like what we do as digital project managers is complicated. We're often an easy target in as much as if there's one person that you can single out to blame for something going wrong, the project manager is a good person to point to. So it could be stressful and we're kind of at the mercy of others or our team as they're the ones doing the work rather than us most of the time. And in my book, I actually finish by saying no one will ever thank you. And this obviously flies in the face of uh, of Justin's 
Justin's article where he's suggesting that uh, being a being a project manager isn't a thankless job. So uh, I thought this would be an interesting discussion. Uh, and now the, now the reason I say it's thankless is uh, just to explain that kind of perspective is while I find that industry and clients are, are happy to celebrate beautiful design and brilliant UX, people are getting excited about awesome technical wizardry um, and there's awards and there's dinners and uh, people get very excited about them. Um, and actually pay thousands and thousands of dollars to submit themselves for awards and then go to the awards dinners and then pick up their trophies. Uh, but none of it could have happened without a digital project manager. But that said, no one ever celebrates that and no one ever is going to call you out for amazing project management you did on an award-winning project because it's just considered table stakes. So where I let out in the book is that you've got to be confident enough to know that you rock anyway. So, uh, but Justin, I'm interested in kind of your perspective. When was the last time that a client actually did thank you? What did you do that was thankworthy? Sure. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny. I, I've, I've gotten many thank yous over the years. Um, and I don't necessarily, I don't think it's because I'm some, you know, great project manager. I think what it comes down to, honestly, Ben, is... Um, being helpful, um, being educational, and solving problems for your clients, right? Like you said, it, it's kind of table stakes that your project's going to go well. Um, it's an expectation that everybody has for the project manager, and and you should hold yourself to that kind of expectation. But uh, I think throughout the way, uh, throughout the process, if you have an engaged client, um, you're going to be working with them constantly to solve problems. And I think that's where I've really kind of made my money, quote unquote, in, in project management is being able to creatively solve our clients' problems. And that specifically is where um, I tend to get thank yous, right? A lot of times our, our point person might come to us and say, hey, our timeline has shifted. Um, we need to get this done sooner. And then we'll go back to you know the resource planning group and we'll creatively solve their problem. And we'll come back and you know they'll be very thankful that we solved that. Or, hey, you know, a client will come to us and say, hey, we have this change to our scope, but we can't, you know, we can't pay any more money. And then we'll creatively come up with a way to make it work and maybe drop out another feature uh, that was in scope to kind of solve their problem. So I don't think that, you know, if you don't have a client that's engaged, you're ever really going to get thank yous. It's not really that I, I don't see it as really that client agency relationship anymore. I really see it as this kind of full circle partnership and if you're working together to solve problems and to get the project done correctly throughout the way, I think uh, you really form this bond and, and you will get those quote unquote thank yous. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I buy that. That's uh, I think that's, that's so true. I think it is um, when, when clients see us as people who are not just project administrators, when they see that actually we can help, creatively solve problems, I think that's when we're adding value. And uh, that's when clients begin to see that, okay, we're not just an overhead. Because I think so often um, when, a, when a client sees an estimate and they see account and project management and it's, say, 20 25% or 30% of the overall budget, they're like, well, hold on, what, <laughs> what's, that, what's that for? Why, do I, why can't I just talk to the resources directly? I don't think I need to talk to you, do I? <laughs> so... Uh, and it's such an what, it's such an old mentality, honestly. Like it's so old school not to 
the respect and understand why uh, project managers exist. Um, and there still are many, many kind of client agency relationships that, that view it that way. We just, I'm just fortunate enough to be in a situation where we work really as partners with our clients. And I think that that's where the mentality shift happened. Yeah, definitely. But so be honest, though, what don't you love about being a PM? What is for someone who's listening, thinking, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm interested in becoming a digital project manager. Uh, but from your perspective, when is it difficult and how is it? How is it a hard gig? Sure. Yeah, I would say uh, it can definitely be stressful uh, for me specifically. It's stressful when I can't solve those problems that I mentioned. Right. Um, I'll have sleepless yeah. nights because not because a client's upset or um, we had to shift the timeline. I mean, those things happen, right? That, that's just kind of normal stuff that happens in any collaboration. It's not even necessarily a project, right? Um, but when I can't solve a client's problem, that's when it really stresses me out and will keep me up at night. I mean, I had an, a client come to me yesterday, our project manager's out on vacation, and the client came to me with a, a question about um, – something to do with Drupal. Um, and, you know, as I talked about in the article, I like to be educational. So I like to understand the technology and the products that we're using for our clients so that I can answer questions when they come up. Well, they had a question for me about a, a piece of functionality that I couldn't solve. And it was driving me absolutely nuts yesterday. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll definitely try and solve those things or at least help figure them out myself. And I spent several hours and I was working on it in the evening um, and then fortunately, one of our developers that I had asked the question to uh, messaged me late last night on Slack uh, with a solution that he had found out um, actually on the Drupal Slack. So um, had he not figured it out for me or at least helped me solve the problem, I probably would have been up all night thinking about how we could solve it. Um, so I would say that for me is what really stresses me out. I really don't get stressed about the work or like timelines and things like that. It's really about if I can't solve a problem. Yeah, no, that is that is so true, <laughs> definitely. So one of the um, things that you talk about in the article, which I think is really interesting, and it kind of goes back to my point about, um, you know, no one's ever going to notice, no one ever notices great project management because it is, uh, well, great project management just means everyone else shines. So, but you talk about being an invisible PM. Do you want to just unpack that for people who haven't read the article? What is an invisible PM and should we always be invisible or how does that work? Sure. Yeah. So, so what I was referring to um, is about kind of just being a, being a really good PM means that you're not constantly putting out fires for your clients. I mean, you're always going to have problems to solve. That's again, table stakes, but um, you're not constantly having this negative attention brought to your project. So uh, when things are going smoothly, people don't really take a step back and, and realize that the PM might be running things so efficiently or, you know, anticipating problems and solving them before they happen, et cetera. So things just kind of run smoothly. Um, you know, your, your stakeholders or your uh, management doesn't need to worry about your projects and same thing on the client side. So uh, that's really what I meant. It's, it's like, you know, um, our creative director, I'm sorry, our uh, chief experience officer, Mike Gatsby, um, he did a presentation at an AI event at Comcast last week, and he talked about having um, great design is invisible. And what that means is that when people are using products and it's, 
it's so seamless. The experience is so smooth and you, you know, there's no interference. There's nothing that kind of makes you stop and say, wow, that's, that's really problematic. Or why did they do that? Et cetera. Um, that kind of brings negative attention to the UX or the UI. Um, it's invisible. So I think the same thing for project management, if you're so good at, um, solving problems and running these projects that, you know, there's not constant issues that crop up, um, major issues, I should say, um, being a great project manager can be quote unquote invisible. Cool. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's really helpful. And in your article, you talk about six things that you should be doing to run projects more effectively. And, uh, some of those things are about managing your team, the other about managing clients. But your first point, you talk about setting the team up for success. And obviously, that starts with a great brief. And you mentioned in your article doing things like setting them up by writing great user stories, taking the guesswork away from them. But what are the other kind of tips? What are the other things that you can do as a PM to really set your team up for success? I think uh, for me in my role, I think the number one thing is, is setting clear expectations with, with our clients. Um, it starts at the beginning of the project for me, right? Um, you want to make sure your clients understand how this process is going to run um, potential risks, et cetera, and really establish that great relationship at the start. Um, so I like to be the one to set those expectations at the start of a project before it's handed off to our project manager so that the client is well kind of primed for what they're going to experience, how the contact contract structured, how the project structured, et cetera. Um, so that's for me now as a project manager, it's, it's about, um, you know, kind of to what I wrote in the article, it's about doing, doing those little things that will set the team up for success. So you mentioned grading, uh, writing great user stories, right? So, um, it's not about, you want to take the guesswork out of it, but you also want to leave enough to the team because they are creative people. They are creative thinkers to be able to kind of make it their own. Um, but you don't want them having to constantly ask you questions, constantly, um, you know, have things unclear to them based on what's been designed or, or what's, what the requirements are. You want to take that, those major kind of pain points away from them before it even gets to the, to their plate so that they can work seamlessly. Um, and I think that, you know, Doing things like that are really, really important to run your project smoothly, but also just build trust with your team and your client. Um, you need to always be one step ahead um, in both cases so that, you know, people aren't constantly having to stop and ask questions. And that, again, goes back to that thought process of being invisible, right? You want them to get the task that you're assigning to them and just say, oh, of course, Justin or Ben already thought about this, and I don't have to go back and ask for credentials to log into this system or I don't have to ask, you know, what customization I have to do here or there. Um, and that's really what it's about for me. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's great. And I think I've written in, I wrote an article last year, I think it was about, um, it was called something like, why do, why do your teams suck? And, uh, fundamentally I kind of go make the argument that it's because you're not briefing properly and uh, not setting your teams up for success. Because I think all too often we'll, you know, a project will kind of land on our laps and there'll be a really tight deadline. Um, and so we'll just try to get things started. We'll kind of pull a team together and just give them a really loose brief and just hope they get it. And then be surprised when, for some reason, 
uh, they don't get it quite right. Or in fact, they do something totally wrong. And it all comes down to the fact that we didn't brief them properly. Um, but if, we, if, we're not, if we're not briefing people properly and the people on our team really don't know what the criteria for success are um, or really why they're, you know, the why behind what we're asking them to do and the details that they need to include, like if the requirements aren't clear, then uh, we're really setting our teams up for failure. So I think this is so important. Setting our teams up for success um, is so key in, in being a great digital PM. Yeah, it's huge. So one of the, I mean, you touched on this just now, but you talked about, you know, setting expectations um, with your client being really important. And in the article, you talk about setting them early. You talk about setting them often. You, set, you actually talk about setting them continuously. So what, how do you do that? Like, obviously, many PMs will be familiar with using a, creating a statement of work to outline uh, the expectations or the deliverables, um, outline the activities. But how else do you... How else do you set the expectations throughout a project? Sure. Yeah, I think the biggest thing uh, for me that I always try to remind myself is that whoever I'm working with on the client side, it's not their full-time job. At least most of the time, it's not their full-time job. So they have um, probably several stakeholders that they have to report to, um, as well as more than likely a full-time job that they have to attend to. Running digital products and projects is what we do, right? So we need to educate and set expectations for our clients throughout the way and help guide them throughout the way so that they understand each step of this process. Again, this is what we do every day. It's not what they do every day. So, um, you know, you can be setting expectations from the second the project starts, um, you can set that first deliverable date. And when you get to that first deliverable date and you hit it and it's time to present, you need to set the stage. So what I mean by that is if you're presenting a wireframe, right, you need to clearly set the expectation as to what they're looking at, what it what it means for the project, as well as what type of feedback you want to receive from your client, right? And that's just a small example, but it's really kind of guiding them throughout this process. Um, you know, when things come up like change orders or, or scope creep, et cetera, your job is to call it out. So um, you should be doing that constantly and constantly reminding them, you know, hey, this is what's scoped or, um, you know, here's what we talked about in X, you know, portion of the scoping phase, whatever the case may be. But you, you shouldn't be afraid to have those kind of tough conversations and, and do it early and often. It, it actually builds a lot of rapport with your clients. Um, and if you're doing it continuously, you don't have to be annoying about it, but there's a kind of finesse to it, right? And if you're doing it consistently, they start to kind of autocorrect themselves and uh, you really get into this, this good working relationship where you're totally in tune with your client because you're constantly guiding them through this process, setting clear expectations, uh, and making sure that they understand kind of how this thing's going to flow. Yeah. Now that, yeah, so that goes on to another one of the points that you make about, yeah, tackling difficult conversations with poise, tackling with them head on. So what, so, so people have got uh, an example of this to, to help understand what are the kind of, uh, what are the kind of difficult conversations that you typically have with clients? What are the, what are the classic things that you, that you come against sure. that you have to, that you have to tackle head on? Yeah. So most of the time it's scope related. Um, for the majority of our projects, our scopes are 
more or less time-based, so we don't have fixed deliverables per se, but it's more about kind of how much we can get done within the time. Um, but in a kind of traditional fixed-fee project with a fixed scope, um, there's scope issues all the time. It's almost impossible to predict exactly what the project's going to need three months into the project when you're scoping it up front. So, you know, I think that's the number one thing. Um, the way that I typically handle that or recommend handling it is as soon as it comes up, like as soon as the request comes up, you kind of flag it and let the client know, hey, this might be out of scope or, hey, this is out of scope. Uh, we need to discuss it. And that kind of sets that expectation that, you know, you're going to actively manage the scope and that you guys are going to have this open and honest conversation. Now, if they request something and you you agree to it and then realize it's kind of out of scope later or somebody says it's out of scope later and then you have to go back to the client, it makes that conversation much more difficult. So with any tough conversation, whether it's scope, timeline, uh, you know, some sort of major blocker or, or, or hurdle, I think it's important to go to our clients right away, make them aware that there's an issue, kind of set that expectation before you get on the call or set that expectation as soon as it comes up um, so that when you get on that call, everybody understands that you're here to solve a problem. You need to, you need to discuss it. You discuss it open and honestly and then come up with a solution. And I also recommend that you always come to that table with a solution in mind or at least a couple options for, for your client because what's most likely going to happen is that they're going to have to go back and discuss this with their team. So, um, yeah, no, I think, I think that's, I think that's such sound advice. I think, um, yeah, there's, it's one thing, which is to kind of, yeah, raise an issue early, uh, which is, which is critical, but then there's also just waiting a tiny bit of time, like long, give yourself long enough to come up with a really robust plan so that you've got some options to bring to the table that are viable alternatives. Um, so that, you want to go and, and tackle that that conversation by presenting the client with a with a viable alternative that they can just say yes to and uh, yeah if you're if you're going to the trying to have that difficult conversation and you're you're just going to them with a problem um, it's not going to end up well <laughs> at all I always tell uh, the people on our team that you know please don't bring problems to me bring solutions um, it's okay to bring problems but also have the solution. And that's something I, I learned the hard way early on in my kind of digital PM career was when you first start doing this, you want to, you know, these, these problems that come up, they feel really unique and you feel totally kind of almost like in a bubble, like, you know, it's so stressful to you, right? And I learned early on that you have to come with solutions or else that's going to be, you're taking a negative conversation and making it worse. But if you do come with solutions, Typically, there's an option there to make this happen. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really sound advice. And uh, one of the one of the other things you talk about is the importance of building great client relationships. And so I'm curious as to how you do that. How do you how do you get your clients trust? How do you build that trust? And uh, what does a great client relationship look like to you? Sure. <clears throat> so for me. I'm the type of project manager where I will, I would rather kind of prove myself to, to a client before I start trying to build that relationship. So I've always built my relationships by proving it to my clients. So like we talked about earlier, um, being really educational and consultative and guiding them through this process and solving problems for them and making them look good 
um, is really a, a great way to build the relationship. I think once you prove yourself in a project, that kind of opens up the door to get to know your clients better. Um, you know, I, I always try to spend a few minutes um, when there's downtime or when I first get to a meeting or when I first get on a call just to talk to our clients and get to know them uh, a little bit. I think people want to deal with people. They don't want to deal with robots. So um, getting to know your client through way of the project and, and proving yourself through that project as well as getting to know them personally, I think really is how I've always liked to do it. I, again, I don't, I go back to, I don't like having this client uh, agency relationship. I like to look at it as a partnership. So I think if you can prove yourself uh, constantly and you can get to know your client, then when you have tough situations, you can solve them and they're going to be a lot more open to working through that issue with you if they like you and you've kind of proven yourself to them. I think, you know, not only solving problems, but also being responsive is a really big deal and kind of something that I look back and have recognized as a, as a reason why I've, I've got some, some really good relationships with our clients is I, I try to be super responsive. Now it's not about responding in under a minute, but it's about um, making sure that they hear you. Right. So I, I look at it as when I, when I need something, when I'm, you know, hiring a contractor, when I'm hiring a, you know, really any service industry, you always want that kind of constant communication. You want to be updated, et cetera. So I think being really responsive to my clients is a great way to build relationships and show them that it's not just about work, but you understand that they, you know, your client needs you and you're respectful of that and you're responsive and you're kind of constantly helping them. I think, um, are really, really how I've always done it. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's great. And I think, yeah, it, it's showing your clients that you care. Um, you can, care not just about delivering the project because that's what your job is, but you care about making them be successful too. You care about their success um, and the project delivering the results that, that it's intended to deliver as well. Exactly. When they feel, it's, it's like what you've been talking about being a, being a partner rather than just thinking of yourself as, hey, I'm just here to deliver the project. Well, actually, you're delivering a project because it's intended to deliver some kind of results. It's required. A project is to change something. And uh, so you need to be when you care about the change that you're trying to create through the thing that you're creating um, and the clients can see that. Um, I think that's great in terms of building the client relationships and when they feel like you understand their brand, you understand what they're trying to achieve as an organization. Um, it really helps develop that kind of client uh, agency partnership. Yeah, exactly. And, and to go back to a point that I mentioned, I think when you have that relationship, um, it makes the tough conversations a lot easier. Um, because yeah. They know that they're dealing with somebody that they care about, that cares about them, that cares about the project. And it makes those, it really does make those conversations a lot easier. And that's, you know, there's definitely many people out there that are strict kind of project managers that, that will tell me that, you know, there's account managers for the relationship. But I've always been of the mind that having a great relationship will make running your projects a lot easier. Um, and I think I've proven that. And kind of we as a company and, and many other project managers out there have proven that that uh, is a reality. Great stuff. So... Yeah, I hope that's been helpful for everyone that's listening. 
to try and understand a bit more about how to run projects effectively. I think what Justin's talked about are some really key things to, to running projects effectively, which will help you be an invisible PM. And then maybe, just maybe, someone will thank you for it. But I think the important thing and the important takeaway here is um, that as PMs, we need to be confident in our own ability. Even if no one does say thank you, uh, you can thank yourself and you can be confident that actually by doing by doing your job properly, by being an invisible PM and being seamless and, and, and enabling a project to happen around you and facilitating that, um, we, you can be an invisible PM and you can you can be rest assured in the knowledge that you're doing a good job. So, Justin, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great having you with us. Of course. Thanks for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. Good stuff. And if you'd like to contribute to the conversation, uh, head over to the digitalprojectmanager.com, check out Justin's article, comment on the post, and then head to the community section of the digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team, uh, where you'll find all kinds of interesting conversations going on. But until next time, thanks for listening.